0: The Inside Learning Podcast is brought to you by the Lernovate Centre. Lernovate's research explores the power of learning to unlock human potential. Find out more about Lernovate's research on the science of learning and the future of work at lernovatecenter.org.
1: Have you ever been frustrated to discover you couldn't remember something you read just the day before? Have you ever thought you understood a new idea but then found it difficult to put that idea into words? Have you ever given up on trying to learn a new skill because when you tried to apply it, the result was an abysmal failure? If your answer to any of these is yes, you're in the right place. Learning is one of the most useful skills we have in today's forever changing world. But even though you've probably spent the best part of your life learning in one form or another, no one has ever told you about effective learning techniques. So that's what today's guest offers. Welcome to the Inside Learning Podcast brought to you by the Learn Centre in Trinity College, Dublin. I am your host, Aidan McCullen, and I'm delighted to say we're joined by the author of 4x4 Learning, the four-step method to get four times more out of every book, talk, video, or even this podcast. Our guest is Ian Gibbs. Ian, welcome to Inside Learning.
2: Thank you very much, Aidan. It's a pleasure to be here.
1: Ian, before we even dive in, I thought it was really important, so both you and I and our listeners are on the same page, let's agree on a definition for learning itself.
2: If you look in the, the dictionary definition, the dictionary definition is that learning is something like to acquire new knowledge or a new skill. And for me, that's an insufficient definition. The whole point of learning successfully is to acquire new knowledge or new skill in such a way that you can use it when you need it. And that bit, that bit about using it when you need it at some point in the future is the main part that I think we all stumble with.
1: Next, you share... A beautiful metaphor. I loved your metaphor of learning based on the forest in which you live. I'd love if you'd share this with our audience.
2: Sure. As I sit here re- recording this with you, I'm looking out of the window and a house is just on the edge of the colserola forest. The forest is run by the wild pigs. There's more wild pigs in the forest than there are people. And of course, they trot around and they have their own habits and ways that they move. And If you went off path, you'd see that there are hundreds of tracks that have been worn into the ground by these pigs trotting around. And these tracks are used as a metaphor for the way that the neural connections are made in, in our brains to point out that these tracks aren't just made by one pig taking one route through the forest on one occasion. They're made by several pigs taking the same route every day, every night, for months. And the idea of how we learn, how we build these neural connections to, to get ideas together, is based on repeating and traversing these connections. This is how they're wired together, our neurons, just by Thinking about something once or doing something a few times doesn't make you learn it. The way that you learn anything intentionally is by intentional, effortful practice.
1: So this brings us nicely to what you call the learning ladder, which has five rungs or levels A, B, C, D, and E which also facilitates learning. Let's talk about this before we go into the 4x4 framework.
2: Absolutely. There's nothing rocket science here. Really, what I'm doing here is slightly tweaking what anybody who's, who studies education knows about the Bloom's hierarchy of learning as far as the knowledge-based part goes. What I've done to start with is pointing out that with Bloom's hierarchy, the, the, the first step is actually being able to remember and as far as I, I see with people that are learning, many people don't even get up to this level. They experience stuff. And exactly the way that, for instance, your, your listeners now are listening to, to this podcast, or maybe they've attended a class or they've read a book or whatever, they expose themselves. They, they acquire or they become aware of new ideas, new information, but they don't even get to the point where they can remember it. If in a couple of weeks' time somebody asks them, oh, what, what is it that you heard? They might completely have forgotten, and that's not learning. Just listening to a podcast isn't enough to say that you're learning from it. You have to make the effort to not only to listen but to, to be able to remember, to, to understand, to apply, and beyond that, to evaluate how the information, how the stuff that you're interested in learning can all be processed and put into your head.
1: So that's acquisition and awareness. And, you know, so many people, and I see this, I lecture in, in Trinity College, and I see sometimes the students think just by recognizing the information that they've learned it. And B of the f- five steps of the ladder is bringing back ideas, and this kind of talks to what you talked about about learning earlier on, is that being able to recall those ideas when you need them.
2: Recognizing stuff is the, the most primitive, the lowest level of, of learning. This is one of the reasons why I think, for instance, these uh, you know uh, pick, pick the right answer out of four um, tests is, is not uh, – it doesn't work simply because you're already providing the answer so people can recognise what the answer is. Whereas if you ask them to, to remember what the answer is to, to a, a problem, that's more challenging. And we, we, f- we spend far too much time becoming aware of new ideas and not enough time trying to remember them, process them, understand them and apply them if possible. And this can be done either through the, 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 the lecturers or the teachers by including regular uh, activities which force the students to remember stuff from previous classes or by having activities which uh, help them to, to understand and process that information more, just that much more than just writing stuff down and copying it that's a a level one activity sitting in a classroom or a lecture hall listening copying notes etc reading those are level one activities and to to learn stuff you have to get higher up the ladder
1: i often think about this scene from when you think about corporate learning or corporate education sitting there just consuming the information for Example, say it's a new business model or it's a new strategy or it's innovation, whatever it might be, and not actually doing anything with that information, not setting up like a minimal viable product, a new business model, a concept, and actually going through the process of actually doing it. And this is the D on the ABCDE model on the ladder. And this is absolutely critical. Do
2: then it leads to evaluation as well. I find it unbelievable that. In today, in the 21st century, we are not teaching students essential learning skills, not, not study skills like how to block your time and, and how to prepare for exams and stuff like that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about learning skills, the the ability to process information, to absorb it in a way which is meaningful, which can be applied in the future. We don't teach them essential learning skills. And the problem with that is that that the you know, by the time we're in our late teens, we've already made, more or less built up our universe, uh, a universe of values and beliefs. And even you know adults, uh, corporate training, all of this, we still have the belief that learning is something that uh, that happens when a teacher, or trainer, comes to your place of learning or a classroom and has an activity or a lesson during which the learning takes place. And all of this is just so far from what the reality is. We don't learn like this. We learn by doing. We learn through experience. We learn much more Outside the the classroom than we do inside the classroom, and yet you have people who who you know with corporate training is a great example. They think, all right, uh, somebody decides that that uh, we need to improve our customer empathy. So what they do is they say, right, let's get the HR people to get in somebody who can teach us that, and so the HR person then finds somebody to get in as a trainer and the trainer comes and gives what maybe a one-day training session the employees come in sit in the training session and they walk out at the end and everybody is happy because everybody has done their little bit of ticking off what they're expected to do the HR person has found the trainer the trainer has come in The people have attended and everybody's done the right thing. The only problem is that a month later, nothing has changed. Because, oh, what a surprise. A one-day training course has very little impact if you consider the idea of intentional, effortful practice. Nobody is intentionally and effortfully practicing anything. Most people in a corporate training are just sat there Because they have to, and they're waiting until they can get out and continue doing their job.
1: So let's help them. Let's help everybody out there, both from I know so many people who have so many, not even half read books sitting on their bedside cabinet. Oftentimes, like me in the past, I have to say, I'd be reading a book, I'd get through a chapter. The next day, I'd pick up and I'd be reading the same chapter and kind of going,
0: I think I've read
1: this already. We've all been there, we've all had those moments or you attend a conference or you watch a ted talk whatever it might be listen to a podcast and you don't remember that much about it you might remember one concept for example but we can be deliberate about this and this was what i loved about the four by four framework in let's introduce the four steps with the first step which is active awareness
2: active awareness is when you're 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 receiving information, you're either listening to to this podcast or you're reading your book or you're you're in a in a lecture. When you while you're receiving that information, you need to be doing something with it. You need to be involved rather than just allowing it to flood over you. One of my favorite tricks, there's lots of stuff that you can do. One of my favorite tricks as far as um, reading goes, is that when there is an, an idea or a concept that you really are interested in learning, then go to the back of the book. In the back of the book, you usually find there's a couple of blank pages. Rather than writing down uh, the, the key point that you want, write down what I call the key question. By writing down a key question, I'm forcing myself, when I go back to that key question, to have to try to remember it, which is a a level two activity. And when you're actively aware or receiving information, it's activities like this which take your level of learning up a gear because you're not just passively receiving. you're, You're processing that information in some way as to make it relevant and useful.
1: And that kind of caters for step two, which is creating key questions to give us a memory workout throughout the day as well. I love this because this is making sure this is the repetition and this is to overcome the learning illusion that we all suffer from from time to time.
2: One of the biggest problems that that students have as far as revising their, their, their subjects is that nobody actually tells them how to do it. And it's instead of just rereading all your notes and reading textbooks and go, just going over it all again, it's it's self-testing, it's, it's finding games or activities or key questions, all of this. The more you're having to find, try and remember it, the more exercise you're doing, the more you're pushing yourself, the more effort you're making. And... The, the the more you're learning. Uh, the, one of the problems is that most students, when they try to remember stuff, they find it difficult. And people, we, we tend to shy away from things that we find difficult. But ironically, the fact that it's difficult is the whole point. If you're just remembering stuff that you find easier, then you're not really learning anything. The learning bit is in the forcing yourself to try to do something with your brain that you find a challenge.
1: I love step three, Ian, and it really, I didn't think about it this way, but in my own book, I dedicate the book to my wife and my children, and I essentially say to to my children, thanks for listening to daddy's crazy stories. And and when I I read what you talked about in step three, it made total sense to me because In a a sense, my kids were my sandbox for testing these ideas, because my whole idea was if these concepts can make sense to a child, they definitely can make sense to any reader of any age. And this is what you call vocalizing new ideas. And it's something we all should be doing while we are learning, not after we've learned it.
2: Um, I'm not sure if I put it in the book or whether it happened just afterwards. But my wife—I'm I, I, afraid I use my wife a lot as examples. She works from home now because of the, you know, the coronavirus thing. She has to work from home, and she stole—she stole my second screen. I bought myself this lovely extra screen to connect to my laptop so that I could work with two screens, and she took it off me because, well, she points out she needs it more than I do. But anyway, that's not the point. The point is. Is that she was struggling? One day she was struggling to get the screen, get her computer to recognise the the, ex, the external screen, and I said, "Well, what's the problem?" And she said, "Well, the, the problem is, is that you know, with my laptop that I that 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 she uses with her own laptop, she could get it to connect because there are these little icons that pop up." And she just picks the icon of the external monitor, and and voila, off it goes. And she said, but when I when I connect it to my laptop, that's my work laptop, I can't do it because the same little icons don't pop up. All I can see there are the icons of the monitors that are in my office at work. And then she said, but oh, hang on a minute, that means that I'm not actually. Looking at this computer, I'm looking at the computer screen in my office, and if I were to select the the option for using this computer, then ah, okay, that solved it. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Uh, And and basically, by talking through the problem, by vocalizing it, she got to understand what the problem was and allowed herself to 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 solve it. I didn't do anything. All I did was listen. You know, it's a standard coaching trick that people learn and understand better when they have to explain it.
1: I work partly as an executive coach and essentially the job is to be there and be listened and be present. And that's what I find is that most people, including when I work as a consultant in innovation, most organizations have the answers within, but they just don't take the time to actually discuss them. So this step three absolutely made sense to me. Step four then, is that if we incorporate failure into our learning strategy, we'll be more effective at dealing with setbacks and ultimately become more successful learners. Oftentimes, we deal with setbacks as these kind of millstones to hold us back, and the better way to think about them is as milestones of success.
2: Absolutely. People tend to take failure as a sign to stop doing something rather than realising that failure is part of the learning process. You, you, if you're going to start doing something that you don't know how to do, you are going to fail. Ask any juggler how often they, they've dropped the balls. Ask any basketball player how many shots they, they missed at the basket. And uh, it's, it's easy to forget that failure is part of the learning process. I, I speak from, I mean, I, I don't worry, I'm not, I'm, I'm not immune to the this problem as well. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I hired uh, a, a, a motor scooter, motorcycle, because parking in, in the city is becoming worse and worse. And I didn't listen to my own advice. I didn't assume that I was going to have problems in riding the motorcycle. And as a result of being a relatively new motorcycle rider i fell off the bloody thing and injured myself and if i'd have thought to start with look at some point you're going to have a problem why don't you wear some protective gear as you're a new motorcyclist then i could have saved myself a lot of a lot of bother and so it's you know it's it's easy to assume that when you learn everything is going to be smooth but it's much more realis- realistic to build in recognizing and accepting failure from the beginning as a positive sign that you are learning and you're getting better.
1: Brilliant, Ian. And you've a couple of broken ribs to show for it <laughs> as well, if anybody. Yes, yes, I do. <laughs> Ian, if, if anybody wants to find you, where can they find you? I know you've written more than this book. Maybe you can tell us a bit about that, where to find you, et cetera.
2: You can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on my website, iangibbs.me. I have a new challenge this year to try and give as many talks as I can on the subject of learnability and learning skills. Completely free of charge. I just enjoy getting the word out. So if anybody is interested in me coming along and speaking virtually, hopefully my, my ribs will be mended But even <laughs> So uh, I find it much easier to give virtual talks than than to go flying off way around the world, then I would be very happy to explore what options we have and what I can do to help.
1: Well, Ian, it's always a pleasure talking to you. I really appreciate you joining us author of four by four learning the four step method to get four times more out of every book, talk or video that you read, hear or watch for the rest of your life. Ian Gibbs, thanks for joining us on Inside Learning.
2: My pleasure, too. Thank you, Aidan.
1: Next on Inside Learning, we are joined by Learning Leads Senior Researcher and an Innovation Specialist with the Learnivate Centre in Trinity College, Dublin, Janet Benson. Welcome to Inside Learning.
0: Thanks very much, Aidan. Thanks a million for having me.
1: It's great to have you on the show, and it'd be great to get your perspective on the chat we just had with Ian Gibbs, particularly one thing we both found interesting and that keeps cropping up on this show is the importance of learning how to learn
0: oh yeah i mean and it's something you know i I kind of annoy close friends and family about a lot as well it's it's something that it's like no more than yourself aiden i'm so interested in in general like you know how people learn is such a big part of things but also how we're not really taught to learn and i think that's something that ian brought up something that's sort of like Nearly assumed, I think. I mean, we talked about, I mean, he talked a little bit about, I guess, you know, college level and, you know, we talk a lot about corporate learning, for example, but even going back so far, you know, as far as, you know, people being at school and stuff, I think sometimes there's this assumption about how people will, you know, um, I guess, absorb information and learn. And it's not a given, you know, and I think from talking to people that I know who struggled you know, through maybe not even school, but into college, just not having, not assuming that they have the skills or, you know, the kind of the know-how about what to do in a learning situation. I think that's that's such a thing that's missed. I think that's one of the reasons why often students fall between the cracks a little bit, because they're just not given those skills or they don't have the understanding about the best ways to learn or what are the things that can really help them. And I think, you know, I'm thinking about as well, my niece is, is going to start university now in, in the autumn, you know, and, I, and I'm going to have a chat with her about, some of the things that she can do to help her learn. And I know a lot about things like how, you know, I I think Ian brought up things about writing notes and, even highlighting. I mean, highlighting is something that everybody does when they're studying for an exam, right? And you assume that that's going to help you to kind of recall information. And we know actually from the research that that's just not the case. So I really like the idea of what, what Ian was saying about all the different techniques you can use. It's something I do myself. I was, I was listening to what Ian was saying and taking my own notes and thinking, okay, you know, Janet, taking notes, you know, this isn't <laughs> going to work for helping you remember what Ian was saying. But I was writing questions to myself. Writing questions is such a great way to challenge yourself a little bit. And Uh, just having those, you know, those kind of core questions to challenge yourself really, really helps with that learning process. But I think, again, you know, when we look at moving into corporate learning, and I suppose that's where my area of particular interest and expertise is, you know, we spend a lot of time and resources on courses like Train the Trainer. And there really isn't a lot about learn, like learn for the learner. So I think that's kind of where we have to start focusing things.
1: You've preempted me there because I was going to ask about that. I know that's one of your areas of expertise, but also real passion and interest. And if you think about it, I love the word paradigm. Paradigm just means pattern. And the pattern we learn of learning is sitting there like automatons mm. absorbing information. And there's a beautiful quote. I love that the mind is a vessel not to be filled, but a fire to be kindled. And yes. actually, yeah. when you grow older, that's what you want. You want to kindle imagination. You want to kindle Questions in people, so they actually learn in a different way. I'd love to get your perspective on that. The corporate workplace learning.
0: Well, I love that quote eight as well. I think it's attributed to W. B. Eight, and I'm I'm sitting here in Sligo, so it was nice to hear that quote from you. Actually, (laughs) yeah, I think there's still that reliance on kind of as, as Ian was saying that that learning happens in a vacuum. You know, learning only happens in this training room, in this classroom. This is where the learning occurs, and once you leave that's it. You know, there's no learning happening. And and I think, you know, we've become aware in the last, you know, it's it's in the last number of years. I mean, it's been a long time, actually, that we've realised that that's not the case at all. And yet, you know, there is a quote as well that education can be a slow learner. And I think sometimes we struggle a little bit to catch up with what the research says um, and what the best practices are. And we know, so we know that the learning will occur outside of that classroom environment. It'll occur with you chatting to someone outside of the training room about what you've just learned or it'll occur a week later when you're on the job, say for example, and coming across a particular challenge and and trying to recall information that you've learned. But I think the reliance, I guess, on, I'm thinking about in the corporate space in particular, the reliance on, you know, that that learning or training. Again, you know, even the move from the words training to learning, I think, is a big leap because I I always think that, like, when we use the term training, the focus is very much on the trainer, whereas at least if we're using the the term learning, you know, the focus is a little bit more on the learner and the learner experience rather than, you know, that passive um, passing of information. And I think... The problem being that, I guess, with corporate learning um, boxes have to be ticked, right, Aidan, as you know, like the, the, the learning, the training boxes have to be ticked, that the training occurred, that people participated in the training and that they're trained to do their particular job, whether or not the actual learning occurs. And I think, you know, the problem with that is. You know, because there's so, especially in these kind of more compliance-related um, type industries, you know, there's a lot of challenge with time and resourcing to get that training done to make sure that people, you know, are capable of doing their jobs or trained to their jobs. But but the other side of that coin then is that if not if no real learning occurs, then you come across real you know real world consequences, right? So like even if people aren't necessarily having a great learning experience and learn, aren't learning things particularly well the consequences are often that they make mistakes and you know that, that's something that we can definitely help with from a learning perspective but I think at the workplace the, the most important thing really when we think about you know the kind of training that people take in the workplace are in relation to health and safety or impacting you know kind of the financial impact on the organization. And, and these things are massive and they have a huge impact on on human error reduction. And I think if we can kind of as a, as, as a corporate entity or as industry really look to see how can we create proper learning experiences rather than tick the box in a training room we can we can definitely kind of improve some of those metrics and make sure that you know we're, we're improving the kind of um, the, the kind of KPIs around people having accidents or lost time or downtime or financial impact, for example. But again, I think it does come back to look. There's a pressure on you know HR, learning and de- development departments to get this training completed, um, and I think you know to, as I said, time, resourcing, making sure people are trained, but also sometimes it just comes down to you know the know how around how learning works. I mean, I think. Historically, learning and development um, departments struggle a little bit with you know, having learning experts—people who really understand learning—in them HR people tend to fall into L&D roles without, with a really good understanding of people and process and all the regulations, but not necessarily how people learn. And that's why we're end- we've ended up in that position where learning training occurs in this particular room. We don't have a big understanding about how people learn. We don't have a big understanding about what learning actually means and how it's not just recalling information. To kind of as the, as Ian was saying, like relearning doesn't occur like that. That there's there's a lot more involved. And I think. over over time, it's just become a lot easier to say, well, look, we'll bring everyone in for training. We'll get an expert in. They'll talk to the people and no relearning will occur. And yet, because it's worked up to now that you know, if, if a company, for example, is being audited or whatever, that the training forms have been completed, that's been enough. But I think as time goes on, we are becoming a lot more aware of like relearning really has to happen to make sure that people can not only, you know, ensure that they don't have accidents or they don't make these big mistakes, but also that they can transfer their skills to other roles, to other organizations, for example. And that's something that I think is going to become a lot more important over time is that sort of transference of learning or, or those transversal skills development, which we which we talk a lot about at the moment. So I think, yeah, up to date, it's just been that sort of challenge around around time, around lack of understanding, around lack of resourcing
1: in L&D. So much came to mind. One thing, for example, like I work both as a lecturer in Trinity College, but also as a corporate facilitator. And the facilitation, the corporate facilitation actually made me a better lecturer because I realised that, that whole idea of creating discussion points or dis, to, to creating these tipping points or these aha moments for yeah, students yeah. is actually what you're trying to do. And that often happens through conversation or thinking out loud, like Ian mentioned in in his uh, chat with us earlier on, those kind of things. And again, something you said there, the time aspect. For me, you're innovation specialist. The biggest challenge to innovation is not the people, not the thinking, not crystallized thought processes it's the time for them to have innovative thoughts and it's the yeah. same I, I have so much empathy like you said for hr directors lnd directors trying to get people to go to the training is so oh difficult yeah for that's
0: the first hurdle all yeah, the time it's so so di- but again you know what sits around us as you know aiden is is the value like you know do people like even do employees or from managers down understand the value of this of this learning you know and and if they don't, then, you know, they kind of go, well, do I have to send someone to this training? You know, do they have to send somebody out from their day job? Whereas, you know, really one of the main things is, is that cultural aspect and that actually learning is a part of the job. And I think that's something that we come up against in corporate learning and development a lot is that, if you're in a, in a say, a third level or an educational institution, like learning is the job that you're doing. Whereas if you're working somewhere, you know, the job that you're doing is often seen as separate to the learning. So learning is an additional thing that you have to get done. Whereas organizations should be seeing the learning, same as with other things like health and safety or well-being. These things should be implicit in the culture of the workplace. And if they are, then learning is seen as having a lot more value and being part of the job. So it's not seen as Oh, you know, I have to, I have to release three people from their area to do training. Well, actually, no, this is actually part of the job. And I think that's one of the big barriers. If you can get over that, and the value is is being appreciated by, as we say, from the top down to the employees. And and again, you know, with any kind of, I guess, especially with learning, I think, you know, if if it's seen as being valuable to from management from a top-down level, then at least employees will start to see the value too. And if it's being lived by management in their organization and that value element comes into it so it's not seen as such a hassle and and again we've seen that as well Aidan you know where where you set up a training session as you said and you're trying to get people to go to it if your immediate manager line manager whatever is kind of going oh I have to send you to this training of course that's going to kind of have an effect on you as an employee and go well my line manager doesn't see the value in it then I don't see the value in it then I'm sitting there and the poor trainer is trying to push the value of it on you in the training room. So you're coming across three or four hurdles before you even get started, which makes it so much more difficult
1: for people who are skeptical about that. I always point them to Microsoft. The change in Microsoft, and I loved what Satya Nadella talks about. Talk about leading from the front. That he hires learn it alls, not know it alls. And that for me said it oh, all. I love it. I love yeah. it. It's beautiful. And final thoughts from you, Janet. So you had a you had to listen to Eans. You have your own thoughts. They fuse together. They marinate together. What would be your low hanging fruit, perhaps for whoever it might be, corporate trainers, for people working in corporations that are struggling with this education in in corporations? What's your advice?
0: Yeah, I would say, look at... Stop focusing on the outcomes of the learning, right? The immediate outcomes that, you know, tick the box to say I've completed the learning and you've done a a quiz, a multiple choice and, you know, you've gotten the answers right. Okay, like the training has been completed. Great. Use the extra time that you might have at the end to get people to pose questions to each other. Just what Ian was saying, try to explain what you've learned, get people to explain in small groups what they've learned to each other. It helps to create that, you know, that um, deeper learning experience and that people will take something away, get people to at the end of a, of a training session, if you're still having training sessions, which we know corporate are still doing, I like think about, you know, how you're going to apply the learning um, and maybe get, get people to give examples of how they're going to apply learning when they when they leave the, the training room, for example, all these little things, you know, providing them with some level of collaborative task, maybe, or a scenario or some kind of problem-based learning at the end of a training session is 10 times better way to try to instill a deeper learning experience than getting people to fill in, as Ian said, like a multiple choice where the answer is right in front of them. Um, Anything like that will help to kind of create that more effective um, and deeper learning experience that we want. Um, and it's a really good starting point to get people thinking about learning and, and thinking about it a little bit more seriously. And also for the trainers to start thinking about, OK, well, I'm not just training. I'm not just, again, that sage on the stage person. I want people to to actually engage with the learning and get them to think about what are the tasks or activities that they can set um, in, a, in a kind of a training session. To again get people to think about it, get people to ask questions, get people to to come up with scenarios and and try to do a little bit of that application um, and explain things to each other and also to create links to things they already know. I always think that's a really important part of it. If there's a way that you can create links, you know, come up with other resources that maybe link to the to the topic that you're currently learning about, even if it's in your, you know, relating to outside of the workplace or whatever, anything like that helps to create some of those links that Ian was talking about. So anything like that is is going to be really, as you said, kind of low-hanging fruit to get to get get you started about how to create that more effective learning. We can only work from there really and and just make it better and better.
1: That's it for another episode of the Inside Learning Podcast brought to you by the Learnavate Centre in Trinity College Dublin. Thanks to our expert from the Aid Centre, learning lead, senior researcher and innovation specialist, Janet Benson. Janet, thank you for joining us.
0: Thanks a million Aidan.
1: And see you all next month when we are joined by the brilliant Barbara Oakley here on Inside Learning, brought to you by the Learnovate Centre in Trinity College Dublin. See you then.
0: Inside Learning is brought to you by the Learnovate Centre in Trinity College Dublin. Learnovate is funded by Enterprise Ireland and IDA Ireland. Visit learnovatecentre.org to find out more about our research on the science of learning and the future of work.